Hello and welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. Our guests today are Anna Moore, partner at global management consulting firm McKinsey & Company, and Robin Spearings, project lead the Sustainable Flight Challenge at KLM. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring whether sustainability and profitability can work hand in hand, how green credentials can make a difference to businesses, and how responsible businesses are positively influencing their supply chains. So, great topic today. Delighted to welcome our guests, Anna, Robin, welcome to The Lens. So first of all, I suppose, before we get into the whole big uh, sustainability chat, let's find out a little bit more about both of you. So Anna, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. And Robin, great to, to be with you on this. I co-lead our European sustainability strategy practice, and I lead our UK materials construction and real estate practice. So I spend all my time at that intersection, thinking about how do we make the built environment and the materials that go into it more sustainable. And as part of that, I led the creation of our sustainable materials hub globally, and I'm part of the team that's leading our net zero built environment research. We as a firm firmly believe in sustainability as a value creation lever, and I spend a lot of my time working with businesses on how they can shift from seeing this as risk mitigation to really a chance to play offense and create value. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got a big challenge on your hand, but obviously you've got a lot of companies and organizations and you mentioned the sectors that you work across and provide advice and consultancy to. But many people need your help, don't they, Anna? We hope that they only need our help in this transitional phase and that we're all able to graduate to really embedding sustainability in everything that we do, right? Ideally, we work ourselves out of a job on that. For sure, we've got a huge challenge. We estimate north of $9 trillion a year needs to be spent on the energy transition globally. Now, that's about 7% of GDP in order to reach our net zero goals. So collectively, we've got a huge challenge. But we also think there's a lot of value to be created, and we estimate 9 to $12 trillion a year in new green value pools across, for instance, electrifying transport, insulating homes and making them more energy efficient, switching over to alternative meats and proteins, things like this. And so a huge challenge but also a huge opportunity. And my own theory of change is those two need to move together in order for us to stick the landing. So how did you actually get to the position that you're in today? I'm, I'm hearing the accent, Canadian. Tell us a little bit about where how you grew <laughs> up and, and how you got to be at McKinsey. Sarah, that's such a polite way of, uh, of asking. Indeed, I'm Canadian. Um, I think it's always safest to start with the, with the Canadian ask. <laughs> um, I actually intended to be an academic. So I studied natural resource politics and nationalism, uh, and I thought I'd take a couple years out, come to McKinsey, and then uh, and then go back and finish the PhD. And clearly, ten years on, still uh, working towards that dissertation. <laughs> so really came to it through an interest in natural resources. How do they affect our world, uh, and how do we make our use of the Earth's resources more sustainable, both socially as well as environmentally? Well, there's a real need there. I'm sure you will finish the PhD, but right now, <laughs> everybody it needs the advice that you're giving. So brilliant to hear from Anna. Our other guest today joins us from the Netherlands. Robin, you're very welcome to the lens also. Let's just begin with your job title. Fascinating title. So you are program manager, the sustainable flight challenge. 
we know you work at KLM, an airline, the Royal Dutch airline. So tell us more about how you came to be that person. <laughs> it's a unique job, unique in our company, but also in the industry, because I'm hired to put the interest of the industry above the interest of the airline, because we're bringing together many different airlines under one initiative where we focus on collaboration in order to accelerate sustainable aviation. We leverage the concept of friendly competition to bring to surface the solutions that we then share openly amongst each other. Uh, so either you win or you learn, but you gain from it either way. So we said, okay, there's nothing to lose. Everyone feels that sustainability is something we have to do in order to survive as an industry, as a company. And therefore we put everything in there that we have and we acknowledge that we don't know everything yet. So let's learn from each other and let's prevent that we reinvent the wheel over and over again. So this is really beautiful. So the Sustainable Flight Challenge launched last year where we had the inaugural flights uh, operated by 16 different airlines, 22 flights, and they all gave their best. They operated the most sustainable flight they can possibly operate at this point in time. And we obviously challenged them to, to top it a bit above the usual, and that yielded in great results also. So last year we uh, compared to ourselves because we prefer to compare to ourselves instead of others. We improved our energy efficiency by 15%, uh, which is comparable to operating a newer generation aircraft, uh, for example. So that's a massive improvement that we made there. So we're super proud of uh, our results. And I'm heading this initiative as a pro uh, program manager, trying to bring everyone together, put all the bits and pieces uh, in there to make sure that we actually learn from each other and that we also collectively solve the problems that we uh, identify that we haven't figured out by ourselves yet. Absolutely fascinating because there's two words I never thought I would hear put together, sustainable aviation. I'm going to come back to that and find out a little more about what exactly you've been doing to move towards a more energy efficient way of working. But I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your involvement with One Young World. What does it mean to you to be a One Young World Ambassador, Robin? How did you get involved and, and how has it helped you not only as an individual, but how do you feel that it's helping the world? For me, One Young World was a truly transformative experience. It was just an internal process where we could apply for uh, participation in our company. And I was the lucky one who got selected. I went to the London event. I left there with the feeling of empowerment, with the feeling, yes, I am going to make the difference to the world type of attitude. And before that, I had a feeling, oh, whatever I do, it's insignificant. How can I change this big corporate? I can't. It's other people making those important decisions. It really changed the way how I perceive my own role and how I perceived what I could accomplish there. You're really making a change. And Anna, I wonder, do you share that same enthusiasm or same belief that maybe as a, you know, a younger person coming in, you might doubt what change can I actually make in these organizations? But do you feel that sense of, no, I'm here at the right time for a reason. Let's talk sustainability now and what you actually do in that area, how you actually help your clients. I loved Robin's comment around, you know, focusing on the industry rather than the individual company. This is a societal problem. And Sarah, to your point about, you know, is there a sense of urgency? Do we have a sense of enthusiasm? Yes, absolutely. Because this is a budget problem, not a run rate question. You know, carbon is a budget. We need to solve it. 
yesterday. Um, I'm sticking with carbon as opposed to wider sustainability, but the same sense of urgency is true of both. As a firm, we really focus on helping businesses think about, you know, how do we create value through sustainability so that we continue to make those long-term investments even in an economic downturn. I think sustainability and economic growth need to move together or, you know, we start to head into a recession, people start to think to themselves, uh, you know, can I still afford this, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, this can and should be the biggest engine of economic value creation in our lifetimes. But getting there requires us to be quite thoughtful about, you know, one, what does the portfolio look like? Do I need to be reallocating capital in a more significant way than I have been away from the core towards newer businesses? Two, what are the new green businesses that I need to build? You know, we see a lot outside of um, traditional corporates in terms of sustainability unicorns that are coming up, North Bolt, H2 Green Steel, et cetera. I think there's also a role for incumbents to create those kinds of businesses internally. Volvo's Polestar is a really excellent example of you know, net zero EV car um, incubated within the business. BP Launchpad is doing a lot that's really exciting in this space as well. Three, really getting laser focused on where there's a green premium that you can use to fund some of those investments. I spend a lot of my time in the materials world. And as just one example, we see a 50 to 60% gap at the middle of this decade between supply and demand for green steel. That's going to drive an enormous premium. That's driven by automotive OEMs desire to decarbonize. You know, that's a real opportunity for businesses and a time-bound one. So you need to be moving again yesterday. And finally, decarbonizing operations. You know, it's trite but true that lean is green. You know, a lot of the changes that we make in order to be more energy efficient are good for the bottom line, as well as being good for the environment. Oftentimes you are encouraging people to really move away from the way they've done business in the past. This is, this is complete transformation. And do you find now that people are totally bought into that now, or are they still struggling because at the end of the day, they've got to have a business and the world seems to allow some of the outdated methods because we have an energy crisis, because we have a cost of living crisis. You can see how that trajectory, maybe that momentum has maybe waned a bit. Is that fair to say? Of course, this is a challenge. And of course, it's a challenge to embed sustainability throughout the business. I think about it as the same kind of transition that safety went through 10, 15 years ago. I'm not the first to use that analogy, but went from being seen as competitive advantage, folks were unwilling to share their data and quite specialized. You had your safety manager, but not you know the responsibility of everybody on the shop floor. Now it's everybody's job. I think you have a similar transformation um, that needs to be made and many companies are starting to make with sustainability. You know, Robin can speak to how KLM, for instance, have tried to drive this. Do we see folks as we enter an economic recession or likely economic recession starting to question or pull back on some of their investments? For sure, we see this question. For us, it's a matter of and, not or. Again, because this is a budget, not a run rate problem, and because capturing the opportunity requires, in many cases, making long-range investments. And so we're seeing businesses that are keen to capture that green premium sticking with a lot of the investments that they've already earmarked. And those that win in that green premium world will be those who have maintained their investments. Robin, you want to come in there? 
Yeah, I love how uh, Anna is referring to safety because it's uh, actually a statement that we that we live by because I'm not sure if everyone is aware, but flying is the safest form of transport in the world. And it is so because we exchange information about each and every incident that occurs there. We were inspired by that and we said, if we can use that same model for sustainability, like how can we be the safest way uh, of transportation? but also how can we be the most sustainable way of transportation? And this is exactly the concept that we're leveraging in this challenge by exchanging information. We do feel that there is a competitive advantage to uh, being the greenest, but we don't hold any cards to our chest, meaning that we don't feel it should be competitive, but depending on the level of quality and the degree of implementation, it still is at the moment. So we're openly sharing everything uh, because we feel that's the right thing to do for a future. And you see that people find this exciting as well as scary a bit at some times. Like, are we allowed to? Uh, is this really intended? Do, do we really share this? You see hesitation in people. But I think it's like that. It will be a mindset that we look back uh, at in 10 years indeed, like, oh, how, how silly that we looked at safety uh, like that. How silly that we looked at sustainability like that. I think indeed it will be something that we openly share with each other. And also rules and legislation will change around it. I think, for example, competition law might be drastically altered uh, in order to allow us to exchange everything. Businesses notoriously and historically have always been in competition with each other. That used to be part of it but again it goes back to that point Robin that you made at the start it really is about the industry and not the airline I love the ethical side of that completely but at the end of the day Anna do you really believe it doesn't matter about the competitive difference I would separate it into two things. First is sharing information and developing common standards, creating, if you like, a common backbone across industries. We think that's critical. We're huge supporters of TCFD, TNFD, having a common set of standards and sharing best practices across the industry. Again, because this is a societal problem and that's, in our view, not competitive. But don't get me wrong, there's also a lot to play for. And in our view, first movers and businesses that are forward thinking and making investments through cycle like KLM are going to really benefit from that. You asked a moment ago, Sarah, are you starting to see people pulling back on some of their investments? You know, the direction of travel is clear. We see nine to 12 trillion a year in new green value pools. That's going to be captured by people who are continuing to invest in sustainability through cycle. It's going to be captured by people who establish credible brands with consumers. You don't change perception overnight. Um, and it's going to be captured by those who are bringing capacity online now. Right. And so will some folks pull back? Sure. But I think it's short sighted. Collaboration is absolutely key. We can't do this on our own. We have to collaborate. And Robin, you as well talked about working with 16 different airlines and challenging them to operate the most sustainable flights. You have something on your website that's really struck me and it was appealing, I suppose, to passengers, your customers. And it was like, how really do you do your bit to save the planet by continuing to fly? And it actually had a, a staggering statistic up there that did you know that flying from Amsterdam to Brussels takes longer than going by train? And you have something there that should be wanting to make people book a flight. In fact, it's saying, whoa, do you really want to book this flight? That's quite groundbreaking. Thanks uh, for highlighting that example. Yes, it is. Uh, but it's also what we truly believe. There's in aviation low capacity. Demand is increasing. 
it will increase also over the next years. So that means that we have to fly to destinations where we actually have something to add. Like if there is a suitable alternative by train, which is more sustainable, we urge passengers to take that option. We're exploring how to make travel also more seamless so that they can take one segment of their journey with the train and another segment uh, across the ocean by plane, for example. So we're looking into how to improve this. Um, so we're not looking for competing on the Brussels routes uh, from Amsterdam uh, specifically. So we want to use those slots, those moments on in which we can depart from Amsterdam to fly to alternative destinations. Absolutely. Do you feel that passengers are actually, you know, they'll see that and they will say, do you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take the train on this one. Do you think it's working? I think it is. I would say it's a European view, mainly the alternative transport mode uh, options. Yeah, there is an increase in people that demand train travel. There is a lot of companies that also have policies that if you can travel to a destination under four hours, that they're urged to take uh, train or other forms of shared transport and only above four hours take a plane because then it's uh, not worth the time investment uh, at this point in time. So yeah, we do see some shift there. At the same time, there is still demand. People really want to go there. So the lack of alternatives or uh, capacity, again, can be an issue. I wondered also um, about the comparison. We've talked about safety, but also thinking of the tobacco industry and you know those warnings on cigarette packets. Did they really stop people from buying the cigarettes? I don't know, in all honesty. I doubt because I think if people smoke more an addiction and a message on the package won't necessarily hold them back. I think it requires a bit more regulation. Take, take uh, what, what was it, New Zealand. If you were born after 1994, uh, you're not allowed to buy any cigarettes for your entire life. So this is a way to enforce something more from a governmental perspective. And sometimes I really think that we need the same to change things on an industry level as well. We actually want Europe legislation. We want a level playing field across the industry. We would love to have equal taxing on things that harm the planet, but it can't be done from a single country. It can't be done from a single airline. Because if we do that, then people would just take transport, take the nearest airport across the border and take the same flight with the same impact, but then without the benefits of a more sustainable option. Anna, did you want to come in on that point? Yeah, we are already seeing real value created through more sustainable products. So we did a bunch of work with Nielsen a couple of years ago on products that make ESG related claims and have ESG attributes versus products that don't. You know, they grew eight percentage points faster uh, in terms of total market share over the last five years. So we're starting to see in the market observed consumer preference actually matching expressed consumer preference, which had always been the skepticism. And I actually think you see that even more acutely in B2B. That's already driving different purchasing and procurement behavior, which is creating green premiums up the value chain that people are realizing on contracts today. So is there already value in addition to the hypothetical trillions that I've told you about before? Yes. I think the other thing to note, you know, the bar is rising on sustainability. Like people are better educated, regulation is becoming tighter, companies are becoming more sophisticated, and appropriately so. You would have seen CDP, the Environmental Disclosure Platform, said fewer than 1% of the companies that they audited have credible climate change action plans to meet their commitments. 
right? So you're seeing a lot more scrutiny of greenwashing mm -hmm. um, and a much higher bar from the regulator as well as some of these, these independent bodies. You know, I think people can tell whether or not this is credible and really being backed up. And the example that Robin gave from KLM of giving people real options, even when that isn't exactly in the interest of the business, builds trust and credibility with consumers and allows you that you know license to operate and ability to access the bigger sustainable value pools. We're hearing from both of you that really sustainability is something that makes a competitive difference. Ultimately, it's good for business, it's good for everyone. But yes, we can see through the greenwashing. I'd love to come in now and talk to you a little bit more about how you influence or support your own business commitments through downstream procurement. Robin, can I ask you that question first of all, please? KLM is part of a group, Air France KLM, and we're both member of the SkyTeam Airline Alliance. Through this alliance, we're collaborating with other airlines on multiple topics, one of them also being sustainable procurement. So we value a lot uh, and we acknowledge that although our biggest portion of impact sits with the flying itself, a very big portion also comes from everything we buy. Uh, one of the big things we buy, obviously, is fuel. Hence, sustainable aviation fuel is definitely an aspect in which we are uh, helping our businesses to become more sustainable because it's really hard to source this. The availability of this product is very limited and there's a lot of debate about quality and uh, accounting principles on how to account for sustainable aviation fuel if you buy it somewhere else. So comparable to green electricity, if you have a contract with your energy provider for 100% renewable energy, that doesn't mean that 100% green electricity comes from your power plugs because it's put into the generic system, but it doesn't necessarily come to your specific house. And the same concept applies to aviation. If you buy sustainable aviation fuel, it can be put in the aircraft directly, but more often it's put into the system and then each aircraft gets a small portion of it. Uh, but how do you then account for the fact that you actually bought that amount of fuel uh, that you can credibly say, hey, this is what the customer bought and this is how much you see back on your flight. So there's issues around that and we need to help them by creating standards and by informing people. Air France and KLM are both super proud that we're signatories to SBTI, the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Based on the science, commit to certain targets that we actually want to achieve. And in order to reach those targets, we rely for a big portion on buying sustainable aviation fuel. So although it's costly, yes, it's essential for us to meet our targets. And we committed to them and we take it very seriously. You've already increased the sustainable aviation fuel targets from 0.5% to 1%, but you have a goal of 10%, is that right, by 2030? It still seems quite little. I agree, but this is, again, availability. Very often it's a lack of being able to source it, and we don't want to compete with feedstock, for example, so we don't want on sustainable aviation fuel that's created out of corn because then it competes with the food production side. Uh, so there's strict criteria on which sustainable aviation fuel is good enough for us to, to use or not. And the second part that we need to solve is that we don't have unlimited funds. So indeed, it is very costly. So the fact that we don't have 10% yet is 
availability. And as well, we need to figure out how to make this business model work. So you see a big success in the corporate uh, agreements there. So a lot of businesses require their staff to travel with a lower carbon footprint. Hence, they are willing to invest more in programs to buy sustainable aviation fuel. So there's multiple ways to achieve it, but it's a long road ahead because ultimately we also see not everyone is willing to pay extra. And that's the thing, isn't it, Anna? I mean, what can firms do? You know, how can you make sure that your suppliers as well are being as sustainable as possible? To Robin's point earlier about how the industry needs to come together differently, I think the supply chain needs to work very differently than it has in the past. In a lot of businesses, Effecting sustainability is a bit of a chicken and egg problem where you need green supply to come online together with demand. And you have upstream saying, look, I'm not confident yet that there is a demand signal, so I'm not necessarily going to invest in retrofitting my factory. And then you have the downstream saying, look, guys, I really need you to be able to supply me with greener raw materials, et cetera. So you have a little bit of, um, of folks looking at each other. Overcoming that requires procurement to work with um, suppliers in a very different and more collaborative way. You know, so I mentioned Polestar earlier that they brought in the steel and aluminum manufacturers to be part of redesigning what a net zero car should look like. A true joint enterprise between upstream and downstream partnering together in a very different way. We're going to need more of those kinds of collaborations in order to make this work. Now, at this stage of the conversation, I'd love to see if either of you had a question for each other. Robin, do you have any questions for Anna? I was wondering if you've ever seen other industries pulling together, overcoming the hurdle of uh, individual interest over common interest. Is there a use case that we can learn from maybe? There are a couple of industries that I would point to as moving maybe a little bit faster than some others. I think where there's a clear demand signal and a clear premium, you're starting to see faster investments and in particular pressure from VCs um, and private equity that's prompting faster investment. So if I take, for instance, the cement world, we would have thought of that as an industry, very slow to move, very traditional. Well, actually, you've had enormous investment into businesses like Carbon Cure, like Biomason. You've also had enormous investment into cross-laminated timber and into other you know, cement alternatives. And I think you now have realization across the industry that we're going to need to decarbonize um, the material and to come together in very, very different ways. Now, some of that is prompted, I think, by actually competition between different players and by having some of those startups like a carbon cure, like a biomason, nipping at the heels of the incumbents and prompting them to make investments in decarbonization. I would point to building materials prompted not necessarily by getting together from the outset and attempting to collaborate, but in fact, by competition to capture some of that green value. Fabulous. And Anna, would you like to ask any questions of Robin? Robin, I am inspired by and fascinated by the industry-wide work that you're doing. And I would love to hear a bit about just what it's been like to bring the industry together. Where have you had laggards versus leaders? What's the uptake been like? Fantastic question, Anna. It has been quite a journey. We had all sorts of assumptions and most of them proved to be wrong uh, because in this industry uh, of aviation, we have some big key players that 
tend to have all the people and very often are perceived as the ones that uh, know it all because they have the room to hire specialists and expertise. And then you have the small players, the underdogs. And we've clearly seen last year that although they are underdogs, they definitely are all in it as well. Learning from each other comes from the right intent, but also knowing how to find the right people. In KLM alone, we have 30,000 people working across multiple different business units. So how do I connect these people with the relevant colleagues in other airlines so that they actually benefit from it instead of it becoming sort of a mandatory exercise so that we tick the sustainability box? So how do we make it relevant, useful, and therefore see actual impact from it? We're figuring it out along the way. A lot of it is related to building relationships. I've never done a project that uh, people say uh, yes to so easily in, in terms of collaboration. And it's because it has a higher purpose. And we need to listen to those small players. Absolutely. I think that reverse mentoring, if you like, or just to see what other people are doing and uh, encouraging people to go faster, braver and bolder in the decisions that they make, which really is what business in the community encourages organizations to do. It's very evident to me that both of you, that's where your heart lies, is, is taking those risks and sharing the learnings. Robin, how would you say KLM is going faster, braver and bolder in the decisions they're making and the benefit of people on the planet? I love this question because I do uh, the Sustainable Flight Challenge is actually born from an initiative called Bold Moves. And this was an initiative that was created by a group of people amidst the COVID times. And they felt that we needed to step up even more in terms of the sustainability topic. Later, it was endorsed by top management, but it was really a bottom-up approach. And each and every initiative had a few characteristics. It had to change the company in some way. Uh, it had to have significant impact. It has to inspire the industry. It needs to be ambitious, but realistic. And it needs to hurt a little because otherwise it means you're not stretching enough. So uh, the fact that we're handing out freely our knowledge and ideas on sustainability might be perceived as, hey, uh, I'm giving away a bit of my competitive advantage, but we don't care, we don't mind. Yeah, I think how KLM is helping is by endorsing uh, and sponsoring all those bold moves that we have out there in the company. And there's many more, it's inspiring. Yeah, no pain, no gain, absolutely. Or as we say, no plane, no gain. No plane, no gain. I love it. <laughs> Anna, I want to ask the same question to you. You're there consulting with so many clients and organizations, but would you be encouraging them to go faster, braver and bolder in their decisions? Yes, both because it's the right thing for the planet and because it's the right thing for their profitability. You know, the two go hand in hand. This is an and, not an or. And in the same way that companies that invest through recessions outperform those that don't, companies that continue to invest in sustainability are going to be the ones who capture the nine to 12 trillion a year in sustainable value pools. We work where the emissions are. You know, about a third of our client service in energy and materials is now sustainability efforts, you know, in addition to a lot of the advocacy that we do with things like the Mission Possible Partnership, World Economic Forum, etc. You know, people used to call us Jesuits of capitalism. I think nowadays we're more evangelists for sustainability, something where we're trying to walk the talk as well. We've committed as well to a science-based targets initiative pathway of reducing our emissions in line 
with a 1.5 degree pathway, we are encouraging less travel, we're offsetting our travel, we're electrifying our fleet, we're switching to 100% renewables in our office buildings. So it's something where we're making meaningful commitments on our side as well. And there we will leave it. What a great edition of The Lens, a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. Thank you so much to my guests today, Anna Moore, partner at global managing consulting firm McKinsey & Company, and Robin Spearings, project lead, the Sustainable Flight Challenge KLM. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Some fantastic takeaways today from one person who is an evangelist for sustainability to someone else who's absolutely looking at the industry and not just the company that she works for. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. If your business is keen to innovate responsibly, if you want to learn from others or you want to understand how your business can go faster, braver and bolder in its responsible decision making, please do get in touch with business in the community at www www.bitc.org.uk. Thank you so much. Tune in next time.